1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group alongside Phil Paleologos. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is always a pleasure to be with Ray and Peter Lance. These are the Money Guys on Money Wise, brought to you by USA Wealth Group. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and especially good morning to Peter Lance. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Phil. Hi, buddy. Welcome to Money Wise, brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. We are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth, home of the continually operating construction (laughs) project. I was shocked that I just read in the paper recently that they said the whole Fonts Corner Road area is about 27% finished. I couldn't believe it. I thought they were going to be wrapped up in two years. It's already been over a year. Oh, I mean, this is – what are they going to do? I mean, I I just can't imagine, but – Holy cow, they've rebuilt a bridge. We could have rebuilt Brooklyn by this time, I would think. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. I didn't I didn't know that. That's new information to me that I haven't seen yet. Yeah, just read that in the that's paper frustrating. recently. frustrating. I thought they were going to be wrapping up by the fall. Well, today our topic, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to be talking about IRA planning, retirement asset planning. And I was surprised when I look back over our history that we haven't talked about this topic specifically in quite a long time, actually several years. And it's really important. I wonder how many people listening today, Peter, might have a retirement account. Could be an IRA, could be a 401k, maybe a 403b or a 457 if you work for a government agency or perhaps a nonprofit corporation. Yeah, we talk all the time about you know retirement and living in retirement and that gap, that shortage uh, that either your pension or your Social Security, and hopefully you're getting uh, one or both of those, uh, but there will be a shortfall. So if you enjoy the standard of living that you have right now, then you need to do something now to uh, make up for that income gap uh, when you do retire. Well, the fact is, in the old days, and I'm not sure exactly what the old days is, Phil, but in the old days, people had pensions. They worked their whole life for one company. When they retired, they had a pension. And then in 1933, Social Security came along, and that was meant to be a safety net for people. It was never meant to be just your main source of retirement income. Right, exactly. It was mostly intended to help uh, widows of farmers because they couldn't keep the farms when the husband died. The husband was typically the man working on the fields and taking care of the farm, and he worked himself to death and died early, and he left behind a widow, and she couldn't take care of the farm. And so a lot of farms went into foreclosure and had to be sold, and the government decided to do something about that when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was president. And times were hard. There was a Great Depression during that time, and so the Social Security program was created. But it's always intended to be a safety net. It's never been intended to be your main source of income. But I can't tell you how many people we meet with where that is their primary source of income. So I'm going to say just two quick words about Social Security. When you think about Social Security, um, we're going to do a whole show on this in the next couple of weeks probably because it's just an ongoing, very complicated subject. Think of Social Security as the largest single asset that most of us will have. Because if you take the monthly check and you multiply it times 12 for one year, and then you multiply that times your life expectancy, and let's say 
it's 20 years, uh, that comes out to be a huge sum of money you're going to receive in Social Security over your lifetime. The problem is, for most people, it's not enough. And so the second problem is that because of the cost of employment and the cost of paying for traditional pension plans, and the fact that investments haven't been making as much as they used to, uh, especially during the last eight or ten years, what's happened is more and more companies are eliminating traditional, what we call defined benefit pension plans, and they've moved into 401k plans. Well, the other issue also is that the cost of living increase, the cost of living adjustment that the government makes on your Social Security benefits, uh, you know, is very minimal. Sure. And can it, it's not a guarantee every year either. Uh, so, and in addition to that, there's a lot of people who, as soon as they're eligible to collect Social Security, begin collecting even if they don't really realize how much more valuable that benefit will be to them if they wait and defer the um, actual um, initiation of getting the benefits by even a couple of years. So if there's other means that you have to support yourself in the meantime, we almost always recommend that people hold off until as late as possible before they begin their Social Security benefits. Right. So what's happened is private companies have substituted 401k plans and eliminated pension plans. And every big corporation that you can think of, for the most part, has done that. For the most part today, most of the companies that still have traditional pensions are government agencies. And a lot of them are in trouble financially because they have monster liabilities to continue funding these. And some have actually gone bankrupt. Yeah, so if you work for a company uh, or work for uh, the state uh, and you do have a pension and you know that it's solid, then consider yourself uh, in the minority and lucky because it's just it's rare and unusual nowadays. So today we want to talk about IRAs. Peter, what does an IRA stand for? Individual Retirement Account. And do you know why it's called that or do you know what that means? What it means is that only an individual can own an individual retirement account. So here's the first thing to tell you about IRAs, and we're going to define IRAs in just a minute. Well, we have a booklet, and I'll let you continue in just a moment, but we have a booklet. We could do about four radio shows on just this booklet. Yes, we could. It's called 150 IRA Questions. Well, we'll probably get to about 20 of them today. (laughs) But IRAs are very complicated, and thank you for letting me get back to it. I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, I thought you were going to get into what my first question to you that I was going to pose to you was. Oh, well, you can't (laughs) ask me questions yet. I still need to just set this up a little bit. We're going to talk today about IRAs as sort of a general catch-all, but we're really going to be talking about the 401ks, which are corporation-sponsored plans. We're going to be talking about... 457s and uh, 403Bs, 403Bs, thank you, uh, which typically are nonprofits and government agencies' way of savings plans. And by the way, even if you happen to work for a company that still offers a pension, uh, including working as a teacher, working as a, a firefighter or a police officer for a government, for example, or a regular government worker, even if you still have a traditional pension, the likelihood is that your employer is going to be also offering you the ability to contribute to another plan also. If you work for the state of Massachusetts, it might be the SMART plan. We've done dozens and dozens of transfers from SMART plans, for example. 
or sometimes it's hospitals will have a smart plan. Um, South Coast Hospital, I, I believe, does. But generically, we want to refer to all of them today as IRAs because it'll be too confusing to keep spitting out the alphabet every time we talk about it. But essentially, an IRA, an IRA-type plan, is what's called a qualified asset. And what that means very simply is that it's qualified for special tax treatment under the Internal Revenue Code. So when we talk about retirement assets or investing assets in general, we talk about, well, is this a qualified asset, such as an IRA, or is it a non-qualified asset, like a savings account or brokerage account or something like that? Very important distinction that we need to talk about. But um, one of my uh, favorite people that I like to quote is uh, Ben Franklin. And he said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And Correct. Ben Franklin, Mark Twain, and a bunch of Greek guys. Those <laughs> well, are your favorites. No, it's true. Taxes <laughs> go back even to the time of the ancient Greeks. Speaking of ancient Greeks, Phil. Yeah. Uh, there that's... I am. Here I am. <laughs> You're younger than him, aren't you, Phil? Phil is actually slightly, ever so slightly younger <laughs> than me. Much younger. I like that slightly. <laughs> Much younger. No. <laughs> well, you know, if we didn't have taxes, somebody would have had to invent it, right? Because governments have to support themselves. They have to pay for making war. Um, and even back in the time of this famous Greek philosopher whose name began with a P... That Philip. Plato. No, it wasn't Philip. I'm thinking Petychicus or <laughs> trying to that was, think of Greek names. No, that was Epictetus. There you go. Epictetus. No, we're talking about Plato. Plato Say a said, bunch of Greek guys. Plato said, my only Greek quotation today, necessity is the mother of invention. Big. That's a biggie. That came from Plato. Wise words of wisdom a long time ago. And um, actually, I have a bunch of quotations from Plato, but mostly I'll use that one today. But um, taxes are an issue. The government needs to support itself. And the government recognized in this country that there was a need to allow people some special arrangements to put money aside for retirement. And so if you put money aside for retirement to supplement Social Security or anything else, then under certain circumstances, you can get a tax deduction for putting that money aside. And that's a way of encouraging, it's a specific tax policy, to encourage people to save for retirement. But, uh, and we have to because our tax code, uh, this is a little bit of an editorial, <laughs> is based on loopholes after loopholes after loopholes. So here's a quote from Bernie Sanders who recently ran for president. One in four corporations in this country does not pay any taxes. Right. So... The people who pay the taxes are the little people. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, Here is my principle. Taxes shall be levied according to the ability to pay. That's the only American principle. That's kind of a wise saying as well. We should do an entire show on tax code. That'd be oh, good, huh? I'd like to do that. That would be fun. <laughs> okay. Class, open up your tax code manual to... <laughs> wow. No, I, I, I enjoy um, planning for taxes because it's complicated. It's the same reason I like doing puzzles. I like doing the word uh, contests, word things in the newspaper. They're kind of fun. Crosswords, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what is an IRA. It's uh, simply a retirement account. 
there are several types of IRAs. Uh, the most common one is the traditional IRA, but there's also the Roth IRA. Now what's an eight-letter word for something that's in the newspaper that you have to write words in? Schmuck. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's six. Crossword. Crossword? Yep, crossword. Oh, thank you for that enlightenment, Peter. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of similarities between traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, um, but they're very distinct as well. So with a Roth IRA, you generally don't get a tax break when you put your money into it. But when you meet certain guidelines, uh, when you take money out later, it can be withdrawn tax-free. So a Roth IRA is not for everybody, but sometimes people will do both a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. But what most people do is a traditional IRA. And we have to start out by saying, well, who can contribute money into a traditional IRA? I had this question asked to me last week. I had a woman who's retired, and she said, can I put more money into my IRA? And I said, no, you can't because you're over 70 and a half. So the first rule is you have to be under age 70 and a half mm. to put money into What's, do you have an itch, Peter? Well, you set the table and set up the show, and but now you're stepping over me. I was, that was my first question I was going to ask you. Okay, well, you can ask me a question. <laughs> you can ask me anything. Good. I'm Who big. can make a contribution to an IRA or Roth IRA? <laughs> Almost anybody. Good question. <laughs> Almost anybody, but you have to be younger than 70 and a half is the first thing. So if you're older, like some people in this room, uh, I'm talking about myself... <laughs> then you can't contribute to an IRA any longer uh, once you're over 70 and a half. Um, but usually you have to have some form of earned income, and it has to come out of earned income. And if you have just interest income or dividends or capital gains or Social Security, these are considered to be sort of passive kinds of income. And they're not considered compensation allowing you to make a traditional IRA. Uh, contribution. So if you're um, basically retired, you're collecting Social Security, you've got some extra money, and you'd like to put money into an IRA, generally you're not going to be able to do that. You want to talk any more? you have any more questions? For oh, me? I have 149 left. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the top 10 reasons are? When is a traditional IRA contribution deductible? Well, in the year that you make the contribution, first of all, uh, any item of deduction. This, I have two grinning fools looking at me, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, waiting to see, let's stump the star. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, you have to have earnings, first of all, and typically any deduction you take in the year that you make it, there is an exception. So let's say that in the year 2017, you hadn't filed your tax return yet, and of course that time has now passed, um, you could actually have made a deduction in the first few months of 2017 as a deductible IRA contribution for the year 2016. There's not too many situations in which you can do that. Usually, all taxpayers are considered to be what's called a cash basis taxpayer. And what that means is that the year in which you make a deductible uh, contribution or deductible expense is the year in which you can deduct it. So let's, let's stick with 2017 right now, because we're in 2017. In this particular year, you can put money into an IRA account. 
But maybe you don't know what your total income is going to be until you get down near the end of the year and you say, gee, I wish I had put money into my traditional IRA account so I could have another deduction for 2017. You can actually do that into 2018 up until the time that you file your tax return. So in January, February, March, the beginning of April in 2018, you can still put money into an IRA, a traditional IRA, and potentially be able to claim a deduction for 2017. So that's a very, it's one of the very few exceptions. So thank you for trying to stump me. I'm, I have 148 left. All right. Um, let's talk about how much you can put into an IRA account. Contribution limits. Okay. And I, I would like to mention also that uh, you're listening to MoneyWise, brought to you by USA Wealth Group. We have a really interesting guide called the Baby Boomer's Guide to IRA Planning. Lots and lots of good information and charts and so forth. If you'd like a copy of this, call our office, 508-998-8858, and someone will be happy to send you a copy. Uh, it's a good guideline for how much you can contribute. So how much can you contribute? Well, first of all, we have charts. And the contribution amounts don't change a huge amount, and I don't even like to remember them. But for an IRA, right now, it's $5,500. And you can deduct that. I mean, you can contribute that amount of money. Whether you can deduct it or not uh, is different. And we'll talk about deductions in just a minute. And those limits uh, do change here and there. Well, they do change because if you happen to be over the age of 50... They say, well, you probably haven't put enough money aside in your IRA account, so we're going to let you make an additional $1,000 contribution. So now you can contribute a total of $6,500. There's also something unique you can do if you're married and one spouse is not working. So the working spouse can contribute $5,500, and if they're over 50 years of age, they can contribute $6,500. But what about the spouse who's not working? We've already said you have to have earnings and compensation in order to be able to make an IRA contribution. So question number three, can an an individual contribute to an IRA or Roth IRA on behalf of their spouse who does not work? Yes. That's what I was getting to. So thank you for asking the question. (laughs) Yes, so if if you're married and your spouse doesn't work, and you do, um, you can contribute $5,500 for yourself, but you can also contribute $5,500 for your non-working spouse. And again, if you're over um, 50 years of age, it can be 6500 and 6500 A lot of people don't realize that, and it's a way to put money aside for retirement. So um, go ahead, ask me anything. If I don't know the answer, I'll look it up. My client is under age 50 and qualifies to make both a traditional and Roth IRA contribution. He'd like to contribute the maximum to both this year. Can you do that? Yes, you can. There's some uh, variations on a theme about how you do that. And uh, I want to say a word about Roth IRAs for just a minute also. Um, Roth IRAs have uh, different kinds of limitations. The more money you make... um, they have something called a phase-out. So if you make a reasonable amount of money, you're not allowed to contribute to a Roth IRA in the first place. And by the way, I need to come back to one, one important distinction about a traditional IRA and 401k and so forth. That is, the money inside of an IRA account grows tax-deferred. Why is that important? Because it means you can accumulate more money over time than you would if you had money 
the same amount of money in a taxable account, you have to pay income tax on the interest earnings every year. But when you take those distributions... But when you take distributions from the traditional IRA account, now you have to pay ordinary income tax on it. Now, on a Roth IRA, how are the contributions taxed? Well, I want to make one more comment first about the traditional IRA. So the theory is that by the time you get ready to take money out for your uh, retirement needs from your traditional IRA account, you're going to be retired. You're not going to have your regular income. You're going to be in a lower tax bracket. And therefore, it's not going to cost you as much money in taxes now that you're retired. So typically, you don't want to take money out of a retirement account unless you really are retired. That's a mistake. Roth IRAs, on the other hand, they have contribution limits on how much money uh, you can put in or there's a phase out. So if you make as a single person, uh, for example, uh, or head of household, there's a range of 118 to $133,000. And if you make more than that, then you're not allowed to contribute to a Roth IRA in the first place. That's very interesting. But with a Roth IRA, you you, uh, can't, you have to contribute less, or you, you're only able to contribute um, less than a traditional IRA. Uh, but they're uh, taxed when you make the contribution, so they're tax-free when you receive the distribution. So it's two different methods um, of thinking when it comes to a traditional IRA versus a Roth IRA. Well, e- there's some slight differences, actually. Either way, you're going to get taxed. Yep. The contribution limits is basically the same for a Roth as it is for a traditional IRA, which is $5,500 during the year 2017. But if you're over older than 50, 50 years of age or older, you can contribute 6500 by the end of the year. Um, and so there, you know, there are limitations on that, and there are limitations on whether you can contribute the same amount to both, which I'll tell you about in just a moment. What there is, however, for um, the Roth IRA is if you're married and joint, for example, and these are large amounts. If you make between $186,000 and $196,000 a year and more, then you no longer can contribute to a Roth IRA. But when you contribute into IRAs, traditional and Roth IRAs, um, the contribution limits are combined. So for 2017, for example... $5,500 $5,500 is the maximum. You can double that for a married couple, or $6,500 if you're, um, if you're uh, older than 50. So the combination of both traditional and Roth cannot exceed those particular limits. So you can contribute to both, but you have to watch the contribution limits in terms of how much you can put in. Wow. I want to say a quick word about Roth conversions, because I think that's an important subject. Sometimes people will say, you know, I have enough retirement income coming in. I'm not going to need my traditional IRA. I've got uh, Social Security coming in. I've got a pension. I have enough money to live on. I wish I didn't have to take out my uh, deductions when I reach age 70 and a half. We'll talk about that in just a minute, too. Um, what can I do? And one of the options is to convert a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. And this is usually done primarily for people who aren't going to need to take money out of their IRA account when they retire, number one. Or number two, if they want to leave as much of that as possible for children. So what you can do is the older person who is not going to need their traditional IRA can say, 
I'm going to convert it into a Roth. The thing of it is that you're basically cashing out your traditional IRA account. You got to pay income taxes on it, um, and then the after-tax amount uh, is what you can put into the Roth. Or what we sometimes tell people to do is, do you have enough money in another account where you can convert the whole thing over, but the additional tax you're going to have to pay when you convert it, take out of another account somewhere else, and then. Basically, that money can sit there. You're not ever required to take a withdrawal from it. You can leave it for next generation if you want to. And the rule with Roths, uh, usually it has to be in the account for at least five years. And then when you take money out of a Roth after that, it's not income taxable. Now, say it's left to the next generation. Are they able to do anything with that? They can let it sit and accumulate as well for their own retirement. They're not required to take distributions from it. Well, everyone, um, you're either listening with your radios glued to the uh, your ears glued to the radio, or you've fallen asleep in your oatmeal. So it's either going to be a very fascinating subject for you, or it's going to be very dry and complicated. But that's one of the things that we at USA Wealth Group do for people: is make the complicated easy for you to understand, and uh, we can convey this to you in a, in a nice and easy way in person. So, when we uh, come back, we're going to talk about. When must you start taking money from your IRA, and what should you invest your money in? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to MoneyWise, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening this fine Sunday morning, and thank you for listening every Sunday morning. I had an interesting thing happen this last week. I, I had a woman in the office, and she listens to the show every single week, and she's often going to visit her sister uh, at that time. So she's listening as she's driving to her sister's house. And then when she gets there, the show isn't quite over, and she sits in the driveway in her <laughs> sister's house and finishes listening to the show. That's great. <laughs> her sister said, why aren't you coming in the house? She says, because I really want to finish listening to the show. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> so um, in any event, we are talking about IRA accounts. We're going to talk about when do you have to start taking money out of an IRA account, traditional IRA, Pete? Do you know the answer to that? A traditional IRA? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't. A, a traditional IRA account? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking the qualified versus non-qualified. A traditional IRA at age 70 and a half, you have to begin taking what's called a RMD, a required minimum distribution. Right. And you can actually wait uh, longer than that, but we don't typically recommend that. Um it's it's a little bit more complicated, but you don't actually have to take it at 70 and a half, but you have to take it within the year of which you turn 70 and a half. Yeah, it's actually uh, by April uh, 1st of the year, following the year in which you reach 70 and a half, you must begin taking minimum distributions. And the reason is very simple. The government has said, okay, we've allowed you to accumulate all this money without having to pay taxes on it over the years so you could build up a better retirement account. Now, once you reach 70 and a half, you must begin taking the money. And so I have clients sometimes that will reach 70 and a half in December, and I'll say, you don't have to take anything out this particular year that you've reached 70 and a half, but by April 1st of the following year, you must. But then you, next year when you do that, you're going to have to take out two years' distribution during that initial year. So you're better off when you reach 70 and a half. Just plan that sometime during that year you're going to take out your minimum distribution. And the percentage amount that you take out is actually very small. 
I had some folks in the office recently that are on fixed income with Social Security, but they also have some very small retirement accounts. I think one is $20,000 and one is $10,000. And they're living in a residence apartment which has income limits. And they're very concerned that because their combined Social Security is pressing up close to the income limit, and they might not be able to continue living there. So I took the amount of their IRAs, and I said, well, the amount you're going to be required to take out the first year is less than 4%. In fact, it's about 3.65% during the first year. So we did a quick multiplication, and it was six or $700, something like that, they were going to have to take out, which did not bump them up over the limit. So mm. that gave them great peace of mind that yes. they were not going to impact their sure. eligibility to stay there. Yes. We have a, Again, we have a chart that shows at what age, what's the percentage. Uh, I'm going to give a quick couple of examples. At age 75, it's approximately 4.37%. At age 80, it's about 5.35%. At age 85, it's about 6.76%. Mm-hmm. The percentage that you're required to take out goes up every year because you're not going to live as long as you get older, and the government wants to get this money back out so they can tax it. And they actually build it into their deficit forecast and so forth. So when you reach 70 and a half, Pete, you got to take money out. And um, we can give you the chart. We can give you this little brochure we talked about. Give us a call at USA Wealth Group, 508-998-8858. You can also visit our website at usawealthgroup.com. And maybe Peter can have a few quotations for us this morning, too. Yeah, I was looking through one uh, earlier when you asked me uh, that, and I was reading it and not really uh, paying close attention. Constantly reading stuff as we're uh, going through here that we prepared for the show. This is uh, a good one. It's from the Beatles, and I'm sure it was either Paul McCartney or John Lennon that wrote it or wrote it together. Uh, We're talking about IRA contributions and, and the taxability of your contributions versus distributions so here's the battle uh, the Beatles tax man if you drive a car I'll tax the street if you try to sit I'll tax your seat if you get too cold I'll tax the heat if you take a walk I'll tax your feet because I'm the tax man that's it I love <laughs> it <laughs> well I want to say a quick word about beneficiaries because we talk about beneficiary designation all the time and so here's a quick simple test if you have an IRA account of any kind can you put your hands on your beneficiary designation form today while you're listening to the show? Because if you cannot, maybe it's lost. So here's a real simple solution tip for you. Whoever is your custodian, let's say it's a local bank, get a brand new beneficiary designation form, fill it out all over again. Even if it's the same people that you think you've named before, keep a copy for yourself and simply refile it. Now you've got a copy, and you have the comfort and peace of mind of knowing that the custodian also has an up-to-date copy. Well, that's something that that we just recommend in general. If you have anything that you have beneficiaries on, you should make sure that that's updated yearly. Make sure that everything is correct and how you want uh, any of your assets to be dispersed. Things change. Yep. So who can be a beneficiary of your IRA account? Um, well, you can name an individual. You can can you name your pet as a beneficiary? I wonder, Pete. 
I have the answer to that. Um, I believe you can. I know that uh, Lance Law does pet trusts. Um, I'm not sure if you can name an actual pet as a beneficiary, but you might be able to ma- name the trust. You can name a pet. It's not a smart thing to do, but you could do that if you wanted to. Wow. Leona, wow. Leona Helms could yeah. have done that, but she did it another way in New York. She left, what, $4 million to her dog and her trust and her will that was contested. Actually, she left $12 million, yeah. I think, initially, yeah. and the court cut it back down to $4 million. Right. But uh, we don't recommend naming your pet as a beneficiary, but you can name your spouse. You can name children if they're really good to you. Right, yeah. Pete? Sure. I'm, I'm pretty good to you, right? <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> you can name a trust as the beneficiary. So even though you can't have a trust as the owner because it's an IRA or a Roth IRA, you can have the trust as a beneficiary. Mm-hmm. And let me explain why you might want to do that sometimes. Sometimes we'll recommend if you have an individual to name first, name the individual first and name the trust uh, secondly. And there's a couple of reasons for doing that, but sometimes people don't have a backup beneficiary, and yet in their trust they've named a whole different bunch of different places where they want their money to go. So then that might be an appropriate circumstance to name uh, as a beneficiary. You can name a charity as a beneficiary. That's a good thing to do. Um, and that will help reduce taxes uh, later as well. Off of the estate. Yep. Uh, this is a question that just came up um, that we were talking about earlier. We were talking about when you have to begin taking your RMDs, and we met with someone a few weeks ago um, who asked that, um, and it was coming close to when he had to do that. But we had talked about someone who came in and saw us, oh gosh, five, ten years ago at least, and uh, they hadn't taken their RMDs. And they were like 73, 74. What's the penalty for not taking your required minimum distribution in an IRA? That's a good question. And that's that's a big question. It's, I think, the biggest penalty that we have in the Internal Revenue Code. It's a 50% penalty. So if you were required to take out $3,000 as your distribution and you failed to do it, that's a $1,500 penalty. Plus, you get to pay income taxes on the $3,000. Yep. So it's serious. Um, we actually have a, have had two situations like that occur this past year. And so um, one of the questions is, is there a way to correct it? If you forgot to take out a minimum distribution, is there any way you can correct it? Um, there are some things that you can do. First of all, you need to sit down with uh, somebody like a CPA or somebody in our office. There's some things that you can do. And the strongest recommendation that we make, and it's based not only on us, but other uh, writers that we've got material from, um, step number one is to admit your mistake. You gotta write a letter to the IRS and say, I'm really sorry, I forgot for this reason. Um, I changed jobs and um, that account didn't catch up with me. Whatever the reason happens to be, If you have an advisor who didn't give you proper information, such as a tax preparer, an accountant, a lawyer, somebody who said, don't worry about it, um, that's the only real valid excuse you can have for being absolutely forgiven the penalty. You still have to apply and, and explain why. But if somebody who did your tax return made a mistake and didn't give you proper information, um, that's the only true valid reason for doing it. 
Otherwise, do you think the IRS might look at it as a case-by-case and be generous and say, no, forget it, we don't want to take the money from you? Well, what you've got to do is – no, not really. The IRS is in a state of flux right now, too. They've, they've hired outside collection firms now to collect money. Uh, the percentage of returns being audited has been reduced because it's a bureaucracy. They're not being funded the way they need to be funded, and so they're not able to do the things – but let's, let's come back to this thing about how do you correct a missed required minimum distribution. First step is admit your mistake. Say, gee, uh, you got to do a letter and have it prepared by a professional. Don't try to do this yourself. Um, there's a particular form that has to get filed. It's called 5239. I'm sorry, 5329, additional taxes on qualified plans and other tax-favored accounts. So they actually have a form for this. Uh, so you have to submit this form. Uh, you have to request specifically an abatement of the penalty. You have to apologize, and ideally, you've got some good reason or reasons why you didn't do this. You know, I discovered that I made a mistake in taking the money out of a wrong IRA account. I acted immediately to try to correct it. Um, and you have to specifically request the waiver of the 50% penalty, and you got to promise not to do it again. So there is a process. So it's not hopeless if you have been into this trap. Um, I was going to talk about something else. Um, well, I've got just one question for you. What if uh, you are uh, younger than you are supposed to be, younger than 59 and a half, and you take out money from an IRA? So what is an early distribution, and what is the penalty for that? Well, early distributions uh, can be a problem. Uh, there are some exceptions for taking money out when you're younger than 59 and a half. That's a good question. Uh, let, me, let me lay out the basic rule first, which is generally once you're age 59 and a half, you can take money out of your IRA account without paying any penalties. You will pay the income tax on the money you take out. When you're 70 and a half, you must begin taking money out. So in between 59 and a half and 70 and a half, if you need money and you want to take it out, you can do so. Um, so I'm going to come back to this early distribution thing. The general rule with early distributions is if you take it out younger than 59 and a half, you're going to pay income tax on the money, but you're also going to pay a 10% penalty. There's some exceptions to this. Um, the rules that we're talking about today are, are really fairly complicated. Uh, we've got books and books and books and materials and tax code and everything else. So if you do have questions about any of this stuff, you know, always happy to answer it. Um, there are some exceptions um, for taking money out early, and there's very specifics on what the birth date is and so forth. Um, but the general penalty is 10%. You can take out money for health reasons, and you can take out money for education reasons. Uh, primarily are the two main exceptions. Um, and there's another distribution that's called a 72T distribution. I'm not going to go into that now because it really is complicated. But if somebody is uh, disabled um, and they're unable to engage in any kind of substantial work because of medically determinable physical or mental impairment, uh, then there's abilities to take out early withdrawals. Um, there are also some exceptions for education. But, boy, you've got to document this and so forth. You can't just willy-nilly take the money out. 
And by the way, um, there was a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal just this past week, um, Peter and Phil, and it talks about companies are cracking down on employees borrowing from 401k accounts. So if you're working and you have a 401k account, you might want to know that you have the ability to borrow money. Uh, I believe there's a $50,000 limitation, and you are supposed to pay it back, and the companies want you to pay it back. More and more people today, because of financial need, are borrowing money from 401ks, and then they're not paying the money back. Hmm, interesting. And companies are concerned, and the government's concerned, because what it means is when they go to retire, they're not going to have that money for retirement purposes, and they will have lost all the earnings and the investment potential that it could have been made. So companies are now making it much more difficult to borrow money and from a 401k. And frankly, that should be a last resort anyway. Yeah. Well, so, same thing with taking anything out before 59 and a half. You really you set that up in the first place to uh, help you and assist you in your retirement and fill in that gap. Uh, that income gap. So don't touch it uh, unless it's an absolute emergency and there's literally zero other options left. So there's lots more specific rules. We're not going to get to even 5 or 10% of what we have available to talk about today. But I made a joke at the end of the first half of the show, you know, saying that this is sort of a dry subject for a lot of people. There's just a lot of information and and, and if you don't really understand it, um, you know, or or if you're not somebody who's really interested in this kind of stuff, it can be a little bit overwhelming and, and potentially not very exciting, um, but it's very important. And that's what I was saying before is come on in, sit down with us, we'll explain it uh, in simple terms and, and make you fully understand every aspect uh, from start to finish. But I get really excited and enthusiastic about this subject. There's three or four points that I want to make real quickly. I want to give you the topics and then you can ask me some questions about them. Should you take out money from your IRA before you start Social Security? What about children and uh, doing something called a stretch IRA when your parent dies? Think about doing a stretch IRA. Uh, what about moving your money from a 401k over to an IRA when you leave your company, when you move from a job to a job or when you retire? Um, and what are some of the kinds of things that you can invest money in, into an IRA? So in the short time we have left, um, I think we should talk about those things because there are also things that we talk about a lot when we talk about IRAs. Let's, uh, let's discuss really quickly, Pete. We talk about this a lot at seminars as well. Somebody is retired. They're age 65. Um, uh, let's say they're age 66. And they say, well, I need to start my Social Security, but I'm not going to touch my IRA account until I reach age 70 and a half. What are your thoughts about that? I'm, I'm oh, sorry. I was, I was just reading, I was reading another question to be asking you. All right. You've been going on and on this whole show sort of on, yep. on autopilot, so I was just reading another question, didn't even hear All what right. you said. So let me, let me reset the question. Uh, you're age 66. You've just taken retirement, and you say, I need money to live on. I think I should start my Social Security. And I also have an IRA account, which has got a fair amount of money in it. But I don't have to start taking that out until I'm 70 and a half, so I guess I better start my Social Security. No, uh, it would be our recommendation to wait and hold off uh, and start your Social Security until age 70. And it's an extra 8% a year. So the reason for doing the reason for taking money from your IRA before you take Social Security sometimes is because your Social Security check, you don't have to take it until age 70. 
and now it's going to be worth a lot more money for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, and as we always say, it's a case-by-case example. We'd look at you know what you have, uh, and then we would show you, okay, here's what you would, would be uh, taking in a, as a monthly payment from Social Security. Here's what it would look like in two years. Here's what it would look like in four years. Let's figure out the best solution for you. And by the way, I'm meeting with a woman next week who recently went through a divorce, and her husband had a 401k account that they've split up, but uh, he still has her share of the money at his company being managed by his company, and yet they're no longer married. And we're recommending that she take the money away from the husband's company and put it into her own IRA account. But the bottom line is, and we have discussed this before, is you can start taking Social Security earlier than what's called your full retirement age, but you're going to earn much less. Um, and you can actually begin collecting after your uh, full Social Security age, retirement age, but you're going to earn a lot more. It's basically 8% a year in one way or the other. Okay, so what else would you like to ask me, Pete? <laughs> are there any investments that are prohibited in an IRA? Um, generally, uh, metals, minerals, gold, things of that nature. You can't put in collectibles. Uh, S-corporation stock uh, generally doesn't go uh, because of the S-corporation rules. Uh, life insurance. You can't put life insurance inside of an IRA account. It would be nice sometimes if you could because then you could build up a massive IRA account. But the traditional things typically are going to be bank accounts, mutual funds, bro- brokerage accounts, uh, stocks if you have a brokerage account with a stockbroker, or what we do a lot of is uh, deferred indexed annuities. Um, fixed. Fixed, fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities because – you don't have the low returns you have in the banks, but you don't have the risk that you have in the stock market. So it's it's a nice option, nice alternative for where to put the money. Um, what else would you like to ask me? We're running out of time. Well, we talked briefly before about uh, making sure that your beneficiary designations were up to date, and I asked you what beneficiaries might be able to do with um, someone's IRA account once that person passes away. Well, um, let's say you have children as a successor beneficiary. You, you're married, you've named each other as a spouse on your IRA accounts and the children's as secondary beneficiaries or any younger beneficiary. So if a younger beneficiary is named when you die, they can cash the account out immediately. And if they do, then it's no longer tax deferred, number one. Number two, the beneficiary will have to pay income tax on that money. And if the younger beneficiary is still working, that could bump them into a higher tax category, a higher bracket. So now they're going to lose even more money. So we recommend for any younger uh, beneficiary individual that you get advice on doing an inherited IRA, which is also called a stretch IRA. And what it says is, okay, the younger beneficiary must start taking distributions out immediately regardless of their age. That's the nature of an inherited IRA. But it's now based on their life expectancy. Correct, exactly. And that means it's stretched much further out. So we said at age 70, for example, the required minimum distribution is 3.65%. Somebody who's 40 or 50 years of age is going to be maybe half of that. So if they're only required to take out 1, 1.5% and the, the account, account is invested, to grow. it will grow. And now when that younger beneficiary reaches their retirement age, um, they're going to have a nice retirement account for themselves. Um, I want to come back to one thing that we talked about using a trust as a beneficiary of an IRA. What if you have somebody in your family that you're just not really comfortable leaving a bunch of money to them in your IRA account? 
You talking about me? Uh, no, no, you're you're very <laughs> mature. Let me re- re- rephrase that. Let me, let me get my words mixed. <laughs> no, uh, you have uh, good knowledge, good education. You're responsible. You could handle money, obviously, and you advise people. I was joking. I know. <laughs> but what if you have a special needs child? What if you have a child that you're really concerned they're going to blow the money in something stupid? If you name a trust as a beneficiary and they have to be carefully drafted, then you can set out conditions and limitations on when and how they can take the money out. So think about that as an option. You know, we've covered so much ground today. Um, most important tip I want to leave you with is don't go it alone when it comes to retirement accounts, right. IRAs. We can help you with rollovers and transfers. You can only do one direct rollover within a 12-month calendar period, 12-month of any kind of period. Uh, We like to recommend doing company-to-company direct transfers. Uh, You can do an unlimited number of those. But the rules are complicated. We don't want to see anybody mess it up. Come see Peter. Come see me. Give us a call at 508-998-8858. And we'll give you good first-class professional advice on how to handle your retirement account. Thank you for listening. Mm